How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Entercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. All aboard! Ha, ha, ha! You're on the crazy train! All aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. for tuning us in this morning here at the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. Sam is on the board today. And uh, I just want to let you know that since this is uh, a two-hour live show, the only one in Wisconsin of an uh, outdoor show, you can call us at 414-799-1250. Or, since I'm sitting in front of my computer this morning, you can email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. That's CEO. How's everybody? Morning. Morning. Uh, yeah, good morning there, Tom. And uh, just a technical note, as happened last week as well, I, I may not have the best uh, hearing as far as hearing you guys. It kind of sounds like you're talking from the bottom of an aquarium right now. Now, last week, that cleared up after about the first five minutes of the show. So if okay. I'm slow to respond, I am listening carefully, Tom. All right. And, and Sam, how do I sound to you? You guys sound perfect. Okay, great. We sound perfect, Danny. How about that? I, you just sound like Charlie the Tuna to me right now. Yeah, I know. You sound like that to me, you know. So, yeah. But, well, as long as nobody else hears it, that's okay. We'll just, pretend, we'll just pretend we're uh, trying out for parts in the next uh, Aquaman movie. <laughs> okay, sounds like a plan. Oh, uh, so anyway, Danny, I'm I'm doing uh, I'm I'm like Joe Biden today. I'm doing a show from my uh, basement. Uh, well, you got a you got a beautiful man cave basement there, Tom. I'm sure you've got all your trophies from uh, no. all your uh, big bass winnings, tournament winnings, uh, mounts on the wall, all uh, the stuff your wife won't let you keep in the house is down in that man cave. You know what? Did I ever tell you what I did with, you know, I used to have a whole room full of trophies and plaques and that. You know what I did with them all? I you threw them all them. away. Yeah, you know, what is it that guys, now like I still have a couple of my, uh, you know, powerlifting trophies here collecting dust. And 
I haven't been able to get myself to throw them away, although I guess one was, I don't know, 2010, I guess, was the last one, so that's not like it was 50 years ago. But what is it? Does a guy get old and think, what the heck, it doesn't matter anymore? I'm a has-been. It's all over. Toss it. Order well, some actually, Viagra. <laughs> is that what goes on? I, I, I got rid of the trophies years, a long time ago, uh, but it, it was... Um... I don't. I'm not sure. I, 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 all they were doing was collecting dust, you know, and and I said to my wife one day, why, why do I, why do I keep? All they do is take up room and collect dust. We need room for the kids more than these stupid things. And you know what I should have done at the time. You know, I just got impulsive and threw them away. Uh, I, there were like maybe may, maybe two that I kept. Well, one of them uh, was a silver plated bowl. I kept the bowl, not the base. I used that as an ashtray when I used to smoke, which I don't anymore. Um, I used to use that for an ashtray. But other other than that, I I should what I should have done, Danny, was I should have given them to some fishing club where you could just take the, the plaque off or the name off or whatever, and then they could put a different, you know, that, excuse me, that little, you know, like that little brass thing that's got the name and what it was for and the date or whatever. They could take those off and reuse them. That's what I should have done with them, but I wasn't thinking at the time. So You know, that's exactly what I actually did do with an old weightlifting trophy. I actually took the plaque off, had the year changed because they got the little things with the year down yeah. at the base, and had a new plaque put on, and I gave it out as the best lifter trophy to one of my students at the high school years ago after oh, I had cool. one of the weightlifting meets, and it worked perfect. Yeah. So you you are right. I mean, actually recycling trophies, uh, if they're perfectly good, yeah. um, it, it isn't a bad idea. And there's probably lots of organizations that are giving trophies, particularly to kids, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually a good suggestion. So for all our li- listeners out there, hold on to your old bowling trophies, golf trophies, uh, fishing trophies, whatever it is, and uh, donate them somehow. Yep. Somebody can always put them to good use. That's or Tom. Tom, you could have held on to your trophies there, dude. And then that way someday, you know, you could have donated them to the F- uh, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame when you get inducted. So, yeah. you know, they'd, they'd have theirs. Kind of like the, the NFL Hall of Fame where they got your picture in your jersey. There you'd be, buddy. <laughs> well, I'm sure they wouldn't want those old things, so. But yeah, some of them, um, you know, it's funny. Some of them were pretty big, and they just take up a lot of room. You know, take up a lot of room, collect a lot of dust. So, well, you know. were very, you were very besided when you got those. Let's put it that way. Hey, we got our friend Al Shook on the line. Oh, I think. Awesome. Good morning, Al. Good morning, guys. Oh, good morning, Al. How's uh, how's the world treating you, Tom? Oh, just fine. How about you? Oh, not too bad here. I'm sitting on the edge of a nice pond waiting for the opener for duck hunting to come along. Oh, good for you. See if I uh, see if I can't put a couple of birds in the pot. So, uh, you know, we were talking uh, last week. I was talking about some of the new regulations and all that. And sure. some of those are positive for duck hunters, aren't they? Well, as far as I'm concerned, every year we have a season is a positive for duck hunters. Yeah. But uh, it, it's becoming more and more liberal, and I think this is the 22nd year in a row where we've had the maximum allowed days to hunt 60 for ducks. 
the federal government is even talking about giving us another seven days, but they're trying to decide, put it in the front or put it in the back. But uh, it's nice that they're thinking that way. We're lucky that, you know, there are enough birds where they're talking like that. Okay. So that's a good, that's a good thing. Let me ask you, Al, uh, so with the duck season opener, is there a specific time this morning? Is it like the shooting hours that they recommend for hunting, or is it first daylight, or, or exactly what is it? Uh, with the regular waterfall for ducks, it's a half hour before sunrise. Plus, okay. wherever you're at at the state, they give you the plus so many minutes so you know when the sunrise is coming. But now with the, you know, with cell phones that give you the time, the sunrise, wherever you're at, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out, you know, shooting time. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot different than uh, it was some 30-some-odd years ago. <laughs> so, you're, so, Al, you're in the blind. You're waiting. Um, you, have, you, you got your dog sitting next to you? Or you got decoys out there? To describe the scene. We're, uh, I'm on the edge of a pond sitting in a cornfield on the east end because the birds have been flying out to the east to get into some other grain fields. So what I'm going to be doing today is pass shooting. And I'm, I'm actually in a cornfield. So I don't have okay. to be in a blind. The farmer planted that for me last spring. So we've got a we've got a pretty good area where we can shoot, and they've been following this route for a few days. So I'm hoping today is just another day that they follow it. What kind of what kind of load do you use for for pass shooting ducks? I've got my 20 gauge over and under. I've got two and three quarter inch shells with a number five steel shot. Okay. Okay, so they're going to be you're you're going to be waiting for for fl- fairly close flying ducks. You're not sky busting fifty yards up. The no no the pond the pond is probably a good fifteen twenty yards below us, and we've got so we got a tree line here that's probably a forty foot high, forty foot high trees, so they'll be climbing out of the pond, and they won't be you know they won't be sky high by the time they get here. They're high over the pond, but when they get to the cornfield, they're well within shooting range. Okay. And then how about uh, how about your shooting ducks? You know, my brother claimed that he never met a duck that he liked to eat. Uh, <laughs> he, that's what he claims now. And he likes to eat gosh darn near anything, but what's the Al Shook Super Secret Deluxe duck recipe? For mallards, it's breast them out, you know, pluck the pluck the breast, then breast it out, leave that, leave that with some wild, some wild rice or some acorn squash or something like that. Uh, for a smaller duck like a teal, uh, they're pretty easy to pluck, and you're better off if you pluck the whole bird, stuff the cavity with some apples and celery, and just, you know, cook it for maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. But there again, you don't want to overcook it. A lot of these ducks at a canvas back is probably the best and the biggest duck that you can get, but they're mostly on the Mississippi. And those you definitely want to pluck and eat whole because that's probably the best eating bird you're ever going to get. Maybe your brother was handed a bunch of uh, mergansers if he asked somebody <laughs> for ducks. I know I used to get people asking me all the time to give them a duck, and I said, oh, okay. Well, I would shoot a fish duck and hand it to them, and I'll guarantee you they never ask you for another duck. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a trick there, Al. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, you know I'm a swell guy, Danny. <laughs> right, right. Don't ask so, me for my ducks. <laughs> yeah. So, Al, so next week you're taking Danny away from the show, and yep. you're going to be in where? Mon- where are you going? Montana? We're, yeah, we're going to Scobie, Montana. It's one of those places where you don't want to blink, you'll miss it. Okay. The northeast, northeast corner of Montana. I've been there quite a few times to hunt pheasants, and they also have sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarians. And uh, for the last few years, it's been a pretty, 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 pretty hard time for them out there between heavy snow and drought. But this was a perfect spring, just enough moisture, just enough dry weather. The, the hatch was good. They say they're getting back to good numbers, so it, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, we're leaving Thursday morning. Okay, yeah. I wish you guys the best of luck. Thanks. Yeah, it's about 1,100 miles from my house to Scobie, so we'll get a lot of we'll get a lot of windshield time. That's for sure. We'll have a well, I have a lot of stories, a lot of hunting and fishing stories to cover that that mileage. But yeah, looking forward to it there. And and Tom, I've I've gone out to the uh, Waukesha Gun Club a couple of times, busting clays. And uh, I'll put in a good word for that place. It's a real nice club. People ought to check it out. You better uh, better tell everybody how we had Waka out there. With this, uh, got him his first bird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I will tell that story today. <laughs> well, That'll... it's uh, getting kind of close to shooting time, guys. So, All right. I think I'm going to bug out. You all have a good one. And, Tom, you take care. Okay, you too, Al. Danny, good luck, Al. Yep. Take care, buddy. So what's this about? You had Waka out? Well, Waka uh, took hunter safety, and he shot some trap. He shot some shot some clays. He hasn't done sporting clays. He did, did some trap. Uh, also, I believe, at the Waukesha Gun Club. And uh, anyway, he wanted to sh- actually, he's never hunted before. Never hunted before. And I said, well, you know, well, try and get you out. Well, Al was able to get a couple of training birds where, you know, he had four hens and a couple training birds that he puts down. So he's working his one-year-old dog, Phoebe. And, uh, you know, you'd kind of put it down in a spot, kind of mark it, and kind of you spin the bird around, get him kind of dizzy so he doesn't take off. Well, the problem was the birds just wouldn't fly. But uh, then finally the the fourth one, uh, Al gave it a mighty throw into the air, and the thing took off like a Zeus missile, heading heading at about a, a 45 degree angle and gaining velocity and going directly away. And uh, Waka, we you know Al gave him some pointers on shouldering the shotgun, and again he you know done some practicing, and he had a double, and uh, he uh, he actually missed the first shot. And then the thing was way the heck out there. And I thought, oh, boy, that's a gone bird. Bang, I heard a second shot. And Al had a shotgun with as well. And I thought to myself, well, how in the world did he get that with that little 28-gauge way the heck out there? Well, as it turns out, Waka, Waka stuck with it. And he made a great shot on the thing. It was going away. It was a long ways away and high. But he dropped it out of the sky. And Al started. we all started yelling and cheering. So... It was a good experience for Waka for a guy, kind of like from uh, New Zealand, California, surfer dude who's never hunted. The thing that he said was, this is amazing. I never knew this sport was so much fun and that shooting and firearms is is so enjoyable. 
you know, and he's, you know, probably surrounded by California liberals out there now that are anti-gun, anti-hunting, anti-everything, and he's getting into it. In fact, his wife Sarah said to him, she goes, oh my God, you're turning into a Republican. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I got news for Sarah. Uh, Sarah, there's, there's a lot of Democrats that like to hunt and, and shoot sporting clays and stuff like that. You know, a lot of Democrats like that too, you know, so... Uh, I wouldn't say it's just a Republican thing, but I'll tell you what it is, is it's time for a break. So, uh, folks, you just uh, stay, sit back, drink that coffee. We'll be right back with more of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening out there. We want to thank the first responders, the police officers, the healthcare professionals, military, all those people out there keeping us safe and great. And uh, speaking of safe and great, I think we've got a caller on the line. Who do we got there, Sam? We got Troy, everybody, Troy Woodrum. Hey, Troy, what's up? I mean, Hello, Troy. Uh, I was calling, I was, I was a contest winner at the sports show. Oh, okay. We thought we had another Troy was supposed to call in this hour. We're confused yeah. on our caller-inners. But go ahead. Okay. Well, evidently we got, Tom, we got a couple of callers right now, and we're trying to straighten out who we're going to talk to first. One sounds like one of our lucky winners, probably the Dennis uh, Boulder Junction connection guy. Um, and the other one, Troy Woodrow, he called in a couple weeks ago. As you know, he's living up north there, eh? He's been fishing with a couple of guides up there. He sent me some pictures of a couple of nice muskies. Uh, I'm assuming he's sucker fishing, so we're hoping to get the report from him here. Hey, how's it going? I got lost there for a while. You got lost too? What's yeah. going on? What's going know. on? What's we, both, go we both got lost for a few minutes. I've been here the whole time. Everybody else is getting lost. Oh, yeah, I got lost We're, too. Okay, so not oh, so you don't you didn't hear what I just said then. No, so, I didn't. I think Sam oh. got mad at me and hung up on me. Sam got mad at you and okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. What did you say, Danny? Never mind. Here we go. We got Troy Woodrow. He'll tell you. All righty. Hello, Troy. Hey guys, how you doing? Where you at today? Uh, well, right now I'm at the Flambeau Forest Inn, right in the middle of Flambeau River uh, Forest, uh, Winter, Wisconsin. Uh, so I'm going after, I'm going to be fishing the Flambeau River, sucker fishing it today, as well as a lake uh, right over here called Lake of the Pines. Um, but I've been bouncing around, fishing with two different guides, Jake Nelson and John Kwiatkowski from Lake X Lures. Uh, the sucker bite is on up here. Uh, they're talking about the turnover probably happening next weekend. Water temps are about 56 to 60 degrees. Sucker bite is definitely on, I can tell you that. Oh, that's good to hear. So, Troy, now you, uh, let's see, you lost, you said a monster in the river that broke your line, and then you caught a couple big ones. Uh, I saw some pictures. Uh, tell us, how, how big How big did you catch out there with the guide? 
so caught a couple 40 inchers this week um and uh you know nice fish i was on the phillips chain uh a couple days ago the phillips chain out of you know phillips wisconsin uh that's turning on really nice uh that was with jake nelson so got a nice 40 there actually with uh steve comar that you know danny and uh so Jake Nelson's amazing. Like that guy, like just puts you on fish. He, he is, he's just amazing. And then John from Lake X Lures. I can't really say what lake because I, sworn to secrecy on that one. But around the Mercer area, that's all I can say. Um, and that was a nice forty. But they're moving much bigger fish. I mean, the, the fish that the fish are moving now. So that you know, forty is almost like you know a constellation prize up here. So they're. They're moving. I, they're, they're showing me pictures of high 40s, you know, real fat fish. I mean, these fish are, the girth on these things, they're, they're 24, 24, 20, right around that girth. So it's, it's pretty cool to see up here, yeah. So you're saying that uh, the best is yet to come, and they're, they anticipate some 30-pound-plus ones, I'm guessing. Yeah, somebody got a 49 and a half up by Eagle. Ray's Landing that was on the show a couple weeks ago, um, a guy got a, a real fat 49 and a half. Um, he was fishing by himself. So it, it's, it's just turning on up here. Um, it's exciting to be living up here. I live on Little Star Lake, which, as you guys probably know, is Tony Rizzo territory. Um, so I'm, I'm fishing from shore right around there. That's where I lost that monster uh, from shore. As you know, I do a lot of shore fishing. You know, the only boat fishing I really do is with guides, but that can that can uh, that can be ex- obviously very expensive. But uh, you know, it's been great. I, since I've been up here, I've caught uh, I guess four muskies with guides um, on four different lakes in three different counties, uh, and then you know, the shore fishing is only going to get better. Um, soaking suckers and so forth. How about, have you tried any more of that fishing with trout for live bait, or have you just gone with the suckers? Um, I've been going with suckers, but the trout, so, you know, it's interesting. It's, you guys talked about that about, I don't know, three weeks ago. They brought, they do, some some bait shops do have the trout. So they're about 10 to 12-inch brook trout. Um, I haven't uh, done too much of that lately, but I'm about to. So there's a little store right there in Star Lake that sells them, uh, the Star Lake uh, uh, Country Store. Um, they're about, I guess they're, they're $12 a piece. They're 10 to 12 inches. They, I guess they work like candy with these muskies. I, I got to get back on the trout. Yeah, I really need to do that. I have three of them in my, I have three of them in my freezer that I'm going to be eating. <laughs> that, 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 that actually, when I started the trout, it was too early and the water temps were too high and they died pretty fast. But now with the water temps between 56 and you know, degrees right around there, you know, they, they will live. I guess the only negative that people say about them is you can get a false strike because they're so active. But, you know, they definitely work. What, um, what size suckers are the guides using up there? Because I know at, at, after at our 6.30 break, we're going to talk to muskie expert Paul Mahalik, who, will, who is just getting into the mus, uh, sucker bite down here in uh, – southeast wisconsin but are they using real big suckers or smaller what have you noticed so it's been right now it's the 10 to 12 inch suckers seem to be the most uh uh most attractive to them now the other now earlier four or five days ago when i got that 
forty. You know, I'm, I'm going to guess mid forties uh, that uh, snapped my line with deceptive line. That was on a about a uh, that was a fourteen fifteen inch sucker. Um, so it varies. You know, it's funny when people you talk to the bait shop and they'll kind of say it seems like the only ones that care about the size of the suckers are us. But the ten to twelve are the ones right now that are popping them. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. No, I got to admit that's always been my favorite size, the ten to twelves. Uh, sometimes I got to wonder about those really big ones. Sometimes guys go out there with those twenty-four inchers, and uh, I remember one time a guy used a twenty-four incher and he caught a thirty-four inch muskie. But <laughs> but the thing is, is that you could pop a really big fish on a big sucker. Yeah, I yeah. guess. I'm kind of like I'm kind of like with you, Tom. I I've I've I used to go with the real big ones. I think the biggest sucker I ever caught a muskie on, I got a 42 incher on a 17 incher. But uh, my biggest one, the one that's hanging at Midwestern Shooters Supply there, uh, which was a 50 plus incher, that was on about a 13 inch sucker. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. and you know, for me also, what's nice about the smaller suckers, like for example, Phillips is the closest town to where I am right now, which is you know, 20 miles away. Um, and there's no bait shops around here. I'm literally in the middle of the forest. I have to transport these suckers, you know. So I have a, you know, I have an aerator and all that kind of stuff. So I was able to bring 10 suckers all the way over here and aerate them, and then I get them in a, in a small game basket and throw them in a lake. So you know, that that kind of thing for me. Also, the 10 to 12 inch. You know, you try to get a couple, you know, monsters in there and unless you have a big cooler or whatever and aerated and all that kind of stuff. So for me, that works well as well. Like I, I was able to get those 10 suckers over here and then I'll be able to work those suckers for the next, you know, all day today kind of thing, you know? Gotcha. Well, thanks for the report there, Troy. We're probably going to have to run the break in, a, in shortly here. Give us a call next week. If you catch that 50 incher. 10, four guys, take care. We'll talk all right. To talk you. to you later, Troy. Bye now. Yeah, you're right, Danny. It's time for a break. Coming up next is the gut report. And uh, make sure, folks, you stay tuned for the Hornschwaggle after the 645 break. And if you've got any questions for us, you can call us live at 799-1250 or email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. I'm sitting in front of my computer, and you can uh, email us, and we'll get right to your email. So, ceoguys at yahoo.com. We'll be right back with Dan Bush and myself, Tom Neubauer. Stay tuned, folks. we got more to come. Welcome back to the Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors, and I think we got our gut report here, don't we? Here is oh, this? I think no? uh, Sam forgot we're doing oh. the the gut report. Oh, okay. So we got to say the get in my belly, or no, are we, we going to skip that? Okay, no. take it away. Gut report, we, Tom. We don't have to. Okay, fr- friends. This week, uh, how about a quick and easy pizza recipe? Th- this is really simple. You take a piece of French bread, cut it to whatever size you want, but you cut it lengthwise, okay? Then you put some pizza sauce on it, put mushrooms, onions, green peppers, whatever you like, and then a bunch of mozzarella cheese, and then put your pepperoni on top. Put it in the oven at 350 degrees for about 10, 15, no, 10 or 12 minutes or so. Just keep an eye on it. And you know what? It's a quick and easy pizza that really tastes good. 
The Gut Report is brought to you by Skipper Buds. Uh, no, not Skipper Buds, by Discount Liquor. <laughs> Discount Liquor has been in business for 60 years. And I'll tell you what, folks, there's a reason why they've been in business that long. Price, service, and selection. So if you want any good deals and you want really good stuff, just go to Discount Liquor. Now, every week they got specials. So to get those, you got to go to DiscountLiquorInc.com. Hey, Tom, yeah. you want to know why they've been in business 60 years? Yeah, I just told you. Because, no, people <laughs> like to drink for 60 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is Wisconsin. <laughs> so anyway... Um, yeah. You know, whenever I think of fall fishing and I need to catch a, a fish on a sucker in southeast Wisconsin, I think one thing, Tom. You know what it is? I don't know. Better call Paul. And right now, I believe we've got Paul Mahalik on the phone. That should be a theme song for him. Better call Paul. Right. <laughs> Want to catch a fish? Better call Paul. Right. Hey, good, good morning, Paul. Paul. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Yeah, hey, we're doing great. How are you hey. doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Good. We uh we just got done talking with our friend Troy Woodrow up there, and he's up there in northern Wisconsin, dare hey, and the sucker bite is really taking off up there. So we thought we'd talk to you, cause you are kind of the man down here this time of year. You do quite well on them. So what's going on out here, southeastern Wisconsin, as far as that sucker bite, and uh, how how do you expect it to get revved up? Well, the water temperature yesterday was sitting at about 62, usually a little bit. You know, you can get them above 60, but I like uh, when it gets uh, under 60 a little bit. But uh, starting to get uh, some bites on suckers, you know, with, with the cast. You know, I include the casting until I just switch over to all suckers, uh, which is going to happen in the next couple of days for sure. And uh, then it's... Uh, put the suckers out and, uh, you know, the water colder, the muskies are a little more lethargic and let them find the, the suckers swimming down there and uh, game on. So let me ask you this, Paul, because some people say that the sucker fishing will it'll be good for a bit and then all of a sudden the lake goes through turnover and things slow down. Do you really worry about that whole turnover thing a whole lot yourself? Uh, what have you noticed? Well, Pewaukee sort of unique, you know, the east end never turns over, so you can always, you know, if, if you're casting, that's always good over there. And uh, with turnover, uh, yeah, it, 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 it can get a little slow for a couple of days, but uh, the way to get around that is give them the meat, you know. And uh, I noticed, uh, you know, many, many, many years casting, when it gets around that turnover time, if you're fishing uh, – you know, the lake that has experienced a turnover, it can get a little stale. But Pewaukee, like I said, it's sort of unique. You can go to the east end and it don't have, you know, don't have a thermocline over there and, and it don't turn over. And uh, that's good good if you want to cast that before turnover or, or during turnover, I should say. We were also talking about size of suckers uh, last segment. And, you know, some guys like to go with those humongous ones. I kind of got away with that from that. When I was a young young kid, all excited to catch Moby Muskie, I'd try and go towards those big ones. Now I've, I've backed off on it a little bit. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, the fact that I fish Pewaukee a lot for muskies, and it's a small forage base in there. They like to eat the perch and, uh, you know, the bluegills. And, they, and you know, they'll take a walleye now and then too i don't like a, a super big sucker myself uh anything from 
you know, 10 to 14 is good. You know, I will throw a 16 or an 18 out later in the year looking for that big girl, but uh, 12 to 14s are good, and even sometimes it's good to go with a smaller one. Now, you you fish, you know, with suckers pretty much exclusively, you know, more as, as the season progresses. Uh, now, some guys, it, there's several ways to work suckers, too. I was wondering, maybe you can touch on that. Now, my old way was just to get in a little rowboat and maybe put one sucker out, maybe two suckers, and work a weed edge or a drop-off. But then there's other ways, too, where you can, like, stay in one spot and put multiple suckers out. Can you kind of describe that? Sure. Uh, you find you know, find the edge of, uh, edge of some good green weeds or a drop-off, like you say. Set up the boat, you know, according to the wind. And, you know, put your three or four lines out with the suckers and, uh, and let them swim around and let the muskies find them if nothing happens in, in, you know, an hour, hour and a half, then you, you move to another spot and just keep, uh, you know, go, doing more or less like, a, a, you know, just a, a, uh, the word I'm trying to find. Uh, it's kind of like you're still fishing, basically. It's yeah, kind of like waiting. Yeah, and then you do like milk runs is what I'm looking at. You, you go to this spot, nothing happens, then go to this spot. And in the fall, I've noticed... Uh, among anything else that's real important is to pay attention to the sun and moon phases because sometimes towards the latter part of the day if uh, you get that you get the moon rise or you get the sunset period it can be really really good that uh, always in the fall it, it seems like uh, that uh, that dictates that real real well do you find that there so so you're basically saying there are some specific biting windows that you have to be oh, on the water oh absolutely and in the fall you know everybody's got their dreams of getting a, a 30 pound muskie and it, it can happen but the feeding windows in the fall are so small they're, they're not like the feeding windows in the summertime when the muskies are really rubbed up with the warm temperatures where they're feeding quite often sometimes uh you know, being uh, the water's a little colder, they're more lethargic. They, the, the feeding windows are so small at times. So you got to be, you know, on a spot where you know there's a good fish or uh, or be, be, when that solar, solar time is going, you want to be sitting sitting on a good spot. Okay. And, t- and Paul, now you're going to be out there fishing. Are you still available for guiding if somebody wants to give you a call this fall? I am. I am. Okay. Okay, can you give give the contact number where they can reach you? Sure. Uh, it's 414-520-0542. And, Paul, we want to thank you for the information, and I will vouch for anybody out there listening about uh, who's considering fishing with Paul. Get on out there. He'll make sure you're comfortable, and uh, you'll have a great time. Okay, you guys take it easy, huh? I also yep, hear take Paul care. has good food when they go out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. All right. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, you know, Danny, you know, you're talking about, you know, putting out lines and all that. I I always went with, uh, if, if it was just me in a boat, I would have one sucker line down shallow, maybe down about eight feet below the boat. And it all depended where I was, too. And the other one would be down maybe 15 feet below the boat, and then I would cast. Now, if there were two of us in the boat, then I would have three suckers out. I would have uh, one down about eight feet, one down about 15. Then I would have one on a, 
on a on a float rig floating behind the boat about 30 feet, that would be down about 10 or 12 feet. And, you know, a lot of people forget that, you know, if you're in, let's say, 20 feet of water uh, and you got that bait down 10 feet, that's not very far for a muskie to go below it. It's not very far for a muskie to go to grab it. You know, one swish of the tail and they're there. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I always would recommend to stagger the muskies, you know, at different depths. And the shallower one by the side of the boat, that was for, you know, if a fish followed up on figure eights. Uh, if you do, if you got a fish follow up on a figure eight and there's a, a live sucker right in front of its face, well, guess what? A lot of times it'll go for that live sucker instead. So, you know, I would stagger them. And, and having that one floating behind the boat, that's not a bad idea either. I've caught plenty of muskies on, on those ones floating 30 feet behind the boat on a float, so... I suppose there's a number of ways to do it, but you know, I, I must admit though that depending on the lake I'm at, it will depend upon the depths that I'm fishing. Uh, Oconomowoc Lake is different than, uh, let's say, uh, than Pewaukee, and Okachi is different than Pewaukee. So, you know, it just depends on where you are are on the lake, you know, uh, and how for how deep you're going to set those suckers. You know, that's that's good advice, Tom, because, you know, every lake is different. And yeah. one thing, correct me if I'm on this one, when when I was young and dumb and didn't know much of anything, I would look at a map and I'd find where there would be a steep drop off, where it dropped really fast off a edge of a weed edge or a point. And I'd just try and put a sucker kind of down there pretty close, deep along that drop-off. And, and more often than not, I'd get teeth marks on the suckers. I, I I don't know. Is there something to that? No, you're exactly right. Steep drops uh, off of points or weed edges are very popular, especially after turnover, especially then. Um, and dropping it down deep, yeah, that's there's nothing wrong with that, you know. As a matter of fact, uh, when Tony Rizzo would do his famous shore-sitting method where he would take the suckers out, drop them over deep water, and then bring, you know, come back with the rods uh, and set them up on shore for his clients. He always had to have a very steep drop close to shore where he could do that at. And it was for him, it's kind of like what uh, what uh, uh, Paul right. is doing, only Paul's in a boat doing it, whereas right. Tony Rizzo did it from shore. So basically about the same thing you know interesting and sounds fun yeah well anyway we got to go to one more break and guess what's coming up the hornswoggle we got uh, danny getting ready to give you away a really nice gift certificate to carl's country market uh if you uh, should uh, attain stardom in the hornswoggle so folks call now at 799-1250 to be a contestant that's 799-1250 be a contestant in the Hornswoggle, and I'm sure Danny will let you win. At least I hope he will. Well, we'll be right, <laughs> we'll be right back with more, folks. So stay tuned to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. All right, it's nice that we are playing some fast rock and roll music because we now have the Hornswoggle segment, and we're going to be talking about speed. I feel the need for speed. Welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors, and uh, right now we got a Hornswoggle contest. Do we have a lucky 
Corntest and Sam. Yes, today we got Roger and Cudahy. Hey, Roger that. Hello, Roger. How you doing? Good morning. I'm doing great. Good morning, All right. Roger. Okay, so here we go. The topic today is speed. Uh, the jackrabbit. The jackrabbit is one of the fastest small game animals out there. It can run at over 40 miles per hour. Hornschwaggle or no hornschwaggle? Boy, I'm going to say that's a no hornschwaggle. That is correct. There we go. Nice ring, Sam. Thanks, buddy. Okay, and uh, let's see here. The red-breasted merganser. Red-breasted merganser, not to be confused with the blue-breasted merganser, although I don't even think there is a blue-breasted merganser. But red-breasted merganser has, been re has a recorded flight speed of 100 miles per hour. Hornschwaggle or no hornschwaggle? Boy, that sounds awful fast. I'm going to say that's a hornschwaggle. That's a no hornschwaggle, according mm. to my nope. field and stream here. I would have said the same thing, man. That seems awful fast. I, I don't know. Well, anyway, you're one out of one, so you got a pretty good shot here. And the as far as big game animals in the U.S., uh, one of the fastest is the pronghorn antelope. They can run over 50 miles per hour, maybe even pushing 60. Hornschwaggle, no hornschwaggle. Oh, that's definitely a no hornschwaggle. No hornschwaggle. Very good. Very good. Yeah, you got one. Hey, can you guys, have you, I guess, Roger, you probably never hunted pronghorn antelope, I'm guessing. No, I, I have. You have? Okay, yeah. good. Well, that's good. I'm glad you called. So let me ask you. Did you ever take a shot at a running pronghorn? Because I've shot some running whitetails, but I can't even imagine shooting at something moving 60 miles an hour. Well, it wasn't moving 60 miles an hour, but it was a it was a closer shot. It was probably a, you know around Wisconsin shot 100 yards or so, and uh, it was, certainly wasn't going 60 miles an hour, but it was moving pretty pretty quick. Okay. It is amazing how fast it can move. Well, that's good. So you did connect on one. It sounds like I did. Oh, awesome. How about, are they good to eat or are they kind of tough? No, I, I think they're, they have a taste to them. Uh, the ones I've always hunted have been feeding mainly on the sagebrush. Uh, they did, the meat does have a sage taste to it, but nothing you can't overcome with properly taking care of it and cooking it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, sounds good, Roger. Thanks for the info. One of these days, now that I'm retired, I might have to try and shoot one of those wily pronghorns. Well, I'm uh, sure you'll see plenty of them out when you go out west. Oh, yeah, you're right. I remember years ago as a kid, we went out to uh, uh, the family, vac the, the Griswold Bush family vacation. We went out there to the, uh, the, the uh, South Dakota or wherever it was, where, wherever the four heads are on that mountain out there. And uh, I saw lots of pheasants, dead pheasants along the road, but I remember seeing pronghorns out in the fields. Yeah, you'll start to see them in mid-South Dakota, and, and you'll see a lot of them. Yep, that's another bucket list trip there. So anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a contestant. Make sure uh, Sam I am gets your address, and I'll get that $10 gift certificate to Carl's Country Market sent out to you. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. All, All right. right, take Thank care. Thank you. Good luck. Well, Danny, we got an email here. Oh, hey, we got a hot off the press. Yeah, hot off the press. This is from Ken. Ken says, Tom... If you had to buy fish for a fish fry, what species of fish would you buy? Looking to try the saltine cracker coating you spoke about last week. Well, Ken, if, you, if, if money's no object, buy perch or walleye. But 
if uh, you want to go the economy method, then go with tilapia as long as the tilapia is raised in the United States. Then that that's what I would do. I, I wouldn't go with any of those other weird fish that might be in there. You definitely want to, don't want to do a salmon. Uh, so walleye or perch or budget-wise tilapia, and uh, those would be it. That's great advice, Tom. In fact, uh, uh, now that we mentioned fish, you were talking with me last week, and I was asking you about you know, how you fry your fish, and you gave some tips on what kind of oil and how to make sure the oil's ready. So this week, I had some Pewaukee bluegills. Uh, I guess they were more pumpkin seeds, but I just kind of call them all bluegills. They're panfish, yeah. whatever. And I'd caught them right off my pier, and though they were a pain in the butt to fillet, uh, most, of them were, most of them were about seven and a half inches. I had them frozen in water in plastic bags, and I took one of the packages out, thawed it out, and what I did was I used the vegetable oil, like you said. I got a big frying pan. One thing I did, Tom, that I think was smarter is I didn't... I, I'm normally too, too ADHD where I like everything to happen fast, and I'll get the oil too hot, and it'll be popping and splashing and everything else. And I just kind of tempered it back a bit, took my good time to cook them thoroughly. And let me tell you, man, I just used some some Cajun seasoning. It wasn't even Shore Lunch. It was some other brand for two bucks at Pick and Save. Those bluegills were delicious, man. It was awesome. Yeah, blue. you can't go wrong with bluegills, I'm telling you. They they are uh, such a fine-eating fish, you know. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, my sons and I, we, we tend to go more for bluegills now later on i mean in my uh later on in life i i'd i'd rather bring home you know a bunch of bluegills or i must admit one northern pike because northern pike are excellent can't go wrong with that either but you know if any of the you know perch or bluegills um boy i'll tell you what those those panfish are really really good you know and i don't think you can really screw them up you know you got me excited there because uh i do have the uh one more pack of bluegills left and then one pack of pike. And what I did with the, I couldn't even eat all the bluegills, Tom. I, I used the leftover ones, mm-hmm. bought a big giant Kaiser roll the next day at the store, and made a giant fish sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, my gosh. That was, yeah. that was excellent. So yeah. now, one other thing. Let me ask you this, Tom, though. What do you do with your used oil? Uh, that goes in a container, uh, you know, like a glass container, and it goes out in the garbage. Okay. Okay, because I was uh, trying to figure out, I had this big thing of oil. I really didn't have a container to put it in, but then I got a tip, and this worked really good. So I got this big giant uh, frying pan full of oil. It had cooled down. You put it in the freezer and then wait for the oil to solidify, and then it's like solid like a wax. Then I put it in a, a plastic garbage bag which was sealable where you know once it kind of you know gets a little bit uh, runny again it's not going to leak but it was much easier to deal with it by freezing it yeah i just uh i I guess my pans that i use they pour pretty nice because i can pour you know well we use a lot of there's a lot of glass jars you know like from spaghetti sauce or whatever uh we have a lot of glass jars so you know to to pour it in there and then just seal it off i don't do it when it's hot i gotta wait until it cools down you know just in case i should uh make a screw up and you know spill it or something but uh yeah i just pour it in a glass jar and then put a 
you know, put the cover on it and then put it in the garbage. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, listen, Danny, we gotta we gotta go to a top an hour top of the hour break. So, I guess uh, well, we better let Sam take it away. Oh, before we go to the top of the hour break, I gotta do this. This is really important. Skipper Buds is your one-stop shop for all your marine needs. You need a new boat? They got it. You need a used boat? They got that, too. Need an engine? You bet they got it. Need those water toys and jet skis? Okay, they got that. Need service on your boat, motor, or trailer? Skipper Buds can do that, too. They also have winterization and storage. Skipper Buds is located on Silvernail Road in Waukesha. If you have any questions, just go to skipperbuds.com. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi, and every river, lake, and field in between, let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! <laughs> You're on the crazy train! Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. Uh, how are we looking today, folks? <laughs> this is the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. Sam Schmitz is on the boards. And we do appreciate you hanging around for the second hour. Uh, if you want to be part of the show, since this is a live uh, show, you can call us at 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. Or you can email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. And we'll take your questions or comments right on the air if you want to email us. Anyway, so good morning, fellas, again. Um, what do you got next, Danny? Anything special? Well, you know, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, Door County fishing. Um, I, as you, as I might have mentioned last week, after the show, I jumped in uh, the mighty uh, Chevrolet Colorado and drove up to meet my brother up there. Um, and he was he was going to fish the Ship Canal for pike. And Tom, there's a lot of people fishing up there. At least last weekend, it was pretty packed. There were boats out there fishing uh, salmon. So there's guys trolling in the ship canal towards the Lake Michigan side. And there were, you know, plenty of guys, you know, cleaning salmon at the fish cleaning station right there. Uh, But also, surprisingly, uh, my brother said there were guys cleaning some bunches of perch. So the perch, I think, are quietly making a comeback up there. You could see different boats kind of anchored around different spots. Now, we also saw some guys cast working some of the buoys. Some of the spots Dale Strohshine recommended for smallmouth, well, that guy knows what he's talking about. There were, there were people out smallly fishing, too. But uh, I, I, I thought it was pretty cool that the perch seemed to be coming back up there. Yeah, that's what I had heard. Uh, like last a month or two ago, I had heard that uh, the same thing, that the perch were coming back. I sure hope so because, you know, 30 years ago, that was such an awesome spot to go for big perch. It was excellent. And, and then for some reason, it just took a downturn. And uh, let's, let's hope it uh, stays on the right track of coming back. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I think I've mentioned before, one time we took our bikes out to, uh, I think it was, 
a Bayshore County Park out there, or maybe we were off Red River. Uh, I can't recall exactly, but we just threw uh, night crawlers on hooks, uh, you know, or a little bit of worm and threw it out and let it hit the bottom with a split shot. And we caught a whole bunch of perch, uh, nothing big. But, you know, I think if, if we could get more of the little kid in us again where we were willing to go experiment and fish from shore, I'd be willing to bet there's sleeper spots on the Bay of Green Bay, uh, Door County, wherever, uh, east or west shore, which, whichever, that you could probably find some little hot spots where you could catch fish from shore. Heck, I used to catch them right from shore in the Suamico River when I lived there, you know, 30 years ago. So yeah, you um, don't see a lot of people doing that, you know, right now. Uh, everybody's got to be out in the boat, go out in the lake, you know, and all that. And I'll tell you what, there's something to be said for a relaxing shore fishing experience, you know. Very nice. Well, our, our buddy Troy Woodrow sure loves it. So anyway, Tom, I guess we got a couple callers. It's a 7 o'clock hour. We're running hot now, man. Okay, who do we got, Sam? First up, we got Ron in Sussex. Oh, great. All right. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, guys. Yeah, now Ron, you got to tell us a story. Uh, Tom Smiley told us, uh, told me last week that a bear, you had a problem with a bear up by uh, uh, Chippewa Flowage. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, it was Labor Day weekend, and uh, I had been up there for a few days. And the wife comes up on Thursday afternoon, and and you know, to just go about our thing, go fishing, and then we go to bed that night. And uh, well, first of all, I have I have a thirty-two foot travel trailer up there, and uh, with a uh, screened in porch and uh so you know we go to bed and three o'clock in the morning the wife wakes me up and she says something's out there I, I hear something out there so i get up and i look and there's nothing and i come back to bed and lay there for a second and all of a sudden the noise is there again and i get up and i look and here there's a bear cub scratching on and trying to get into the, the door on the porch well she get the, the cub does get in and then uh I couldn't see her anymore from my vantage point, and then all of a sudden here comes the sow, and she gets up on the deck, and she's looking in the porch, and she sees the cub, and then I decide to, to bang on the inside of the trailer so she, to scare her away, and she turns around and gets up on her haunches, and she's got her paws on my window, and we're like, you know, there's a glass window between us, but we're about a foot apart, and it's like, ooh, this isn't good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> And she turns around and decides to start scratching on the screen, and she broke the screen down and got into the porch, and they made a bit of a mess in there, and uh, then they went away. And so I repaired it. took me all day the next day to, to get the porch straightened out and rescreen everything. And then a couple of days later, my buddy comes up, and, and he's got a uh, uh, one of those Blackstone griddles, and he had it on the tailgate of his truck, and he's going to make breakfast that morning. And unbeknownst to us, while he's cooking breakfast, there's a black bear and a sow about 100 feet away from us that we couldn't see, and our neighbors took a picture of it, and it must have been smelling the blackstone cooking out there in the morning. Uh-oh. So they're, they're getting pretty brazen up there. I know the season had started a couple of days later, so I'm kind of hoping that uh, a few of those bears got knocked off. Yeah, maybe maybe get them a little bit, get them a little bit spooky anyway. And, yeah. uh and you're, you're up by the Chippewa flowage there, Ron. You know, funny story. My brother, many years ago, was fishing the Chippewa flowage, and they'd caught some walleyes, and they came upon an island where there was a campsite, and there was a bear tear, who tore, tore into the tent, and it's rummaging through all their food. So they pulled up close to it by the shore, 
And the guy with my brother thought it would be a bright idea to see if he could throw him a walleye, throw the bear a fish, right? Like, and see if he'd take it. So they got up close. They threw the walleye. It landed, you know, there by the campsite. And the bear didn't take the walleye. The bear just spooked and ran away. So they left. But later they were thinking to themselves, well, what are these guys going to think when they come back to their campsite? They're going to think, hey, a bear tore our campsite up and ate all our food, but it left us a walleye. So <laughs> yeah. I always wondered, imagine the mystery those guys would have. No kidding. Hey, on a topic you were just talking about on the fish fry, um, you know, you can reuse your oil uh, at least once, maybe twice more until it gets too brown. We just uh, pour it through a um, cheesecloth into the glass jar and uh you get you know you get the, the barnacles out of there that way yeah i you know I, I i've heard about doing that i've never done that myself because normally by the time i'm done it's you know it's like uh, i i it's not that much oil you know so i, I just i've I heard just that get rid of it i've heard you can in fact shoot you know if i were going to have a fish fry again the next day i'd just keep it in the pan right there i don't think oil can go necessarily bad necessarily can it guys no. Not right away. No, and, and it'll and get also, rancid after a while, but I'm, we're talking weeks, not yeah. Not, right, yeah. right. So, like, if you were up uh, up north, uh, you could reuse it. Although leaving that around for the bears to smell, I guess, could could be a problem as well. Plus, I think I've gone to recycling places, and um, I believe I saw some guys dumping. I, I I think you can recycle regular cooking oil and stuff. I think yeah, they, they got probably bins dump for that. it in with the drain oil. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So Ron, do... that, that had to be a scary experience coming. I mean, that bear could have probably got into your place, eh? I, it, you know, it, that glass isn't that strong when she got up on her haunches yeah. and put her paws up there. It's like, all she would have had to do is take one good hard swipe and she would have had, you know, her paw would have been inside the trailer. So, yeah. So is, yeah, is it's bear... a little scary. I, I don't normally, uh, bring a handgun up there but uh, we're going up next weekend to close down for the year and I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna bring a handgun just just in case i, th- I think that's a good idea <laughs> hey let me ask you is, <laughs> hey ron is uh is bear damage covered under your homeowner's insurance it could be but uh what, what damage i had probably wouldn't have met the deductible gotcha. and, and actually i do have a a rider for the trailer so it's it's on the homeowners but it's a rider on onto it right Right, that's why I was asking. Most that's what most guys do. So, but yeah, I suppose if you got a deductible, it's probably not not worth it. But yeah, it, you know what? It probably I'd have a fire firearm. Heck, you might want to leave a an old pump shotgun there year round. You know, just laying underneath a bunk or something. Yep, that that's a good thought. <laughs> hey, how's uh, musky fishing on the flowage? That's what we should be talking about. Well, it 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 uh, actually it's been pretty good. I mean, you know, the Chippewa flowage isn't a, a red hot fishery; it's a quality fishery, not a quantity fishery. But it's been pretty good. They had the PMTT tournament up there uh, last weekend, and they got thirty eight fish. Uh, nothing big. I think the biggest one was about forty five inches. But uh, it, you know, it's it is what it is. It's not a qual- uh, quantity fishery. It's a quality fishery, and that the fish are nice when you get one. They're nice. Um, do you hear any reports of anybody raising any monsters? And when I say monsters, somebody seeing one that they think is a, let's say, uh, over fifty inches, a fifty-four inch, a fifty-five. Any legends that you hear of? 
No, it it seems like the talk of uh, you know super fish on the Chippewa Flows is is long gone. I haven't I haven't heard any talk about anything extraordinary in fifteen years. Um, do you think? Do you, you think? Know, and, super- and even at that, that, that number fifty is a big number on that lake. Uh, there's they, they grow forty eight, forty nine. My my best is forty nine and a half. Uh, you just that number fifty is a tough number on a chip off lodge. There's probably one or two caught a year that are over fifty. Gotcha. So, no. You know, I just think the day of the superfish, if you know, if them monster fish were there, I think that's all over with. It, we're going to have to. I know we got up against a break, but real quick, do you really think those superfish ever existed? Because Doctor Sandy, who I take fishing. He seems to talk about, oh, you know, Herman's Landing, there's 40-pounders all over the walls, and he seems to think that it really was a super fish time at one time up there. Well, 40-pounders, I think, are, are within the realm of uh, catchability. I mean, you know, you get a, a four-footer any time of the year, and it, if you were to weigh it, it's always 30 pounds. The fish are built like tanks. So okay. 40 pounds is not a, not a problem. It's when you get up to that 50 and 60-pound and range, my my only thing with you know debunking some of them big record fish up there is those fish were on display for days in in, in Hayward. So many people witnessed those fish, and and even if you take the spray fish, now there's a lot of controversy over that. But there was two guys in the boat with with spray. Did those guys go to their grave with a secret? I mean, nobody can keep a secret, you know. Right, right. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Yeah, you would think that someone would have to look and say, "Hey, that's not that big," uh, even even back then. But I that Cal Johnson fish that sure looks like it's sixty-seven pounds to me. It's big. It's big. So for sure. Okay, so, hey, Ron. Tom, I was good, didn't get to tell you we caught a bunch of really quality crappies up there uh, two weeks ago. We were using paddle tail uh, paddle tail swim baits that were like three inches long, and the crappies were just all over them. But they were. 11 and 12 inch crappies but man there were some big baits but that's what they wanted those are dandies yeah so you know typically people use you know baits that are an inch inch and a half long for for crappies and we were using two and three inch long baits well that's what they wanted like you said right yeah all right that's all i got guys okay well Ron, Ron. thanks for calling and sharing with us okay you bet take care we'll talk to you later okay bye yeah, we got to go to a quick break, folks, so uh, hang on to your seats. We're going on more of a ride on the crazy train, so stay tuned with Dan Bush and me, Tom Neubauer. Welcome back to the Skibber Buds. Cutting Edge Outdoors. Thanks for listening this morning there. Hopefully, uh, if uh, you can't get out in the woods or on the water, you can get some information from some of our uh, people calling in. At 7.30, we got Sean Gillis from Fish Addiction Charter going to be giving us some Lake Michigan reports. Right now, I believe we got a caller on the line. No, uh, who do we got there, Sam? We got Randy. Hey, what's up, hey, Randy? Good morning, Randy. Hey, guys. Yeah, interesting point regarding the perch uh, up in Door County. I, like you, Tom, have fond memories going way back, uh, not only open water but ice fishing up there. And it's interesting. I had, I've had some interesting conversations with some biology, uh, biologists up there with regards to the connection between gobies 
and not only perch, but uh, the smallmouth bass population, one of the things they mentioned is the explosion of big bass and uh, the disappearance of small bass uh, a few years ago was explained that the gobies were uh, not only competing with the perch, but with the young of the year smallmouth um, in terms of uh, what they fed on. Anyways, yeah, I've noticed, um, in fact, I'll be going up there next week to do some perch and pike fishing. I was wondering how uh, Danny did up there. But, uh, yeah, it does seem that the population, although not at the levels they were at one time, something uh, is going on up there that has allowed for a sustaining perch fishery where you actually can go out and uh, expect to catch some fish. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask, throw this out here, up here I know a couple pond owners that have ponds that are stunted um, with bluegills or are um, overcrowded with stunted bluegills, and uh, maybe this is more geared towards Tom. Tom, have, uh, one of the things I recommended in addition to stocking some bass was uh, instead of them throwing back the bluegills to start harvesting some, have you ever taken smaller bluegills and put them in the food processor and uh, bones and all and just ground them up and make fish cakes? I've done that with pike, but I was wondering... Uh, well, uh, Tom, Danny, or anyone else, if they've ever done that as a way to encourage harvest of these stunted bluegills. Yes, years ago. As a matter of fact, we've talked about that. I've talked about that on the show a few times over the years. But, yes, you can take the small perch, small bluegills, uh, to cut off the head, the tails, take out the guts, and scale them, of course, and uh, put them in a blender, food processor, and uh, I would always do it several times, make sure I grind them really, really, really good, you know. As a matter of fact, if you have a meat grinder, uh, you can also throw them through the meat grinder several times. And, yes, you can make fine fish patties out of them, and it, those bones get just chewed up into nothing, you know, after a while. So, yes, definitely. And, you know, when it comes to uh, stunted fish in uh, small ponds and some lakes, it, it the surprising thing is is that, an acre of water can only sustain so much fish life. All right, there's only so much food, so much dissolved oxygen. Biomass. Too many fish is gonna, you know, it's gonna stunt those fish. You know, definitely, yes. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. They're not big ponds, so if they just start harvesting some of those yep. small fish, throwing a yep. few bass, I think they rapidly could improve the the fishery, but uh, uh, yeah, I thought so. Like I said, I've done it with pike, and it makes sense you could do it with bluegills, and um, yeah, that's some good eating there. Sure bet. All right, well, Randy, okay, thanks guys. for calling. We appreciate it. Oh, I I've, guess Randy's I, gone. If, if Randy's still listening, he probably is, probably got his radio on. Uh, the story with the pike fishing last week, my brother got up there when the sun was shining, and it was relatively nice out and stable weather. And his first pass trolling, he caught a fat 35-inch pike. In fact, he thought he had a salmon because it was ripping line. It fought really good. So he got a beautiful pike. And then he made another half a pass. And by then, I had gotten up there, and I had him pick me up way on the other part of the ship canal by the uh, beachside, uh, beachside resort, I guess it is. 
and he met me on the pier there, but it's a five mile an hour wake for a long way. So it really took him almost 50 minutes to get come pick me up. And then by the time he picked me up, we thought, well, let's try this side of the ship canal. We tried Dunlop's Reef. Now it looked beautiful. It looked similar to years ago when we uh, did really quite well in a Pike Masters tournament and you know got a 40 plus incher and had another big one monster break the line. But because uh, it's you can get out there, 13 feet of water, 15, there's scattered weeds down there. There were guys pitching for muskies and pike, working both on the reef, Dunlop's Reef, and along the shorelines. And there were some guys who were methodically working, and I saw them work spot after spot, and they looked like they knew what they were doing. I don't think there were any dummies just blindly out there chucking, chucking and hoping. So it, it really looks beautiful there for the pike and muskies. But there was a weather change where right by the time we got out, cloud, it got cloudy, wind picked up, it got cold, and this cold front just hit like a ton of bricks. And for us anyway, it just shut everything down. Uh, we didn't catch another pike. And my brother was kind of lamenting the fact that maybe uh, had he been out there a couple hours earlier doing the trolling, being as he got one on his first pass, Maybe he would have connected with some more because we did go back to that area after we beat up Dunlop's Reef area. And by then it was raining and cold and, and we, you know, we struck out and then got the heck out of there. But uh, there's fish to be caught up there. I'll tell you, that is one incredible fishery. If you look at that Sturgeon Bay Ship Canal, well, actually all Door County, but if you just narrowed it down just to that ship canal and you fish that like it's a lake and body of water in and of itself, you can catch anything from trophy muskies to perch to smallmouth to pike. You name it, they've got it there. And, and uh, I guess I can see why a lot of people, when Steve Milliot wanted to retire, he wanted to go up to Door County. You sure can see why. Yeah, without a doubt. It, I mean, I'd, years ago, I did, uh, we did uh, pike fishing in the shipping canal, you know, and caught some decent fish. But, uh, you know, you got to work for them just like anywhere else. You know, you got to put in your time. A lot of guys, a lot of guys live bait for them in spring mm -hmm. and fall, where they'll fish deep with uh, chubs and so forth, and uh, you know just drag those along the bottom, I guess, on some kind of a slip sinker type rig. Yeah, the only thing you don't want is a wind coming out of the north. What would that be? Northwest. You don't want it coming down the chute of that shipping channel because that can get mighty rough. You know. Right. So that's the only thing you got to watch out for. Uh, it Danny, um, i got to let everybody know that uh, we were going to do the football picking contest oh, yeah. after the 7.15 break, but now we're going to do the football picking contest right in the last segment. So it will be right after the 7.45 break we're going to do that. So I just want to remind everybody. Also, one other thing, i got to do this. Skipper Buds is your one-stop shop for all your marine needs. Need a new boat? They got it. Need a used boat? They got that too. Need an engine? You bet they got it. Need those water toys and jet skis? Okay, they got it. Need service on your boat, motor, or trailer? Skipper Buds can do that, too. They got winterization and storage. Skipper Buds is located on Silver Nail Road in Waukesha. If you have any questions, go to skipperbuds.com. That's skipperbuds.com. All right. There. <laughs> Yeah. 
Welcome back to the Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tommy the True Neubauer. And uh, I had teased earlier that hopefully we'd be talking to uh, Sean from uh, Fish Addictions Charters. Still waiting. Hopefully he can get to us today. Uh, in the meantime, Tom, I was going to talk a little more about Door County, if that's okay. I don't mind. Okay, so here's the interesting thing that I noticed. Uh, Door County is rocking right now with tourists and people. And you really wouldn't expect that after, um, that after you know, Labor Day, typically Labor Day is kind of the end of people's summers. But in Sturgeon Bay, every motel, every resort booked. Uh, I talked to some one of the resort owners and he said, well, a lot of people don't like to go far away, but more local people are even doing like mini vacations right around that area. Um, and then I went through Bailey's Harbor I couldn't believe it. On a Sunday, there were cars lining the streets, flea markets. I mean, it was like the middle of summer there. And uh, I think people have gone kind of stir crazy with this whole COVID thing. And they're getting, they're getting, they're finally getting out. I think people are just saying heck with it and they're getting out. Now, there's a lot of people that'll probably criticize that. And because of the COVID and with, you know, recent you know, up, up spikes and upturns in it. But, you know, people, I, I you know, it's, I think even the same thing in northern Wisconsin, Troy Woodrow said it's rocking up there. Yeah, I know when we were up there uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, half of the people had masks, half didn't, you know, uh, and people were all over the place. But it wasn't as busy as it was the years before. So, and, I, oh, I just got to remember, we got to remind everybody that uh, we here at the Cutting Edge Outdoors back the badge we support our local police officers, firefighters, first responders. Uh, you know, we thank them for what they do. So, uh, yeah, hey, keep, keep uh, on going and doing a good good job that you people are doing. So, yeah. I'm behind. I'm behind you 110 percent on that. Uh, we really appreciate what they do. And right now we don't we don't have uh, Sean, but on the line I believe we we've got our Boulder Junction connection there, oh, uh, Tom. Oh, good. All right. Hey, Dennis. Are you there, Dennis? Yes, I am. Hey, yes, good am. morning, Dennis. I can hear you better. Good. Are you at the restaurant right now? <laughs> okay. Well, can you hear this? Yes, yep. we can. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I uh, wanted to let you know, John, the guy that won the contest, was up here last week with Irv. And, oh, yeah, and, yeah. I don't know if he called in or not, but he had a good time, and they caught walleyes, northerns, uh, perch. They caught a bunch of fish, so he had a good time, and he stayed up here. His dad was along, and and spent a couple extra days up here uh, fishing and enjoying the Northwood. So, yeah, so he that tried. Episode. That John John tried calling in earlier, but at the same t- we were trying. Sam was trying to answer three phones at once and keep Tom on the line. So unfortunately, oh. we got disconnected from him. But if if John would like to call back, he feel welcome to call back and tell tell the story. But it sounds like he had a great time. Yeah, no, yeah, John. I John was the winner of the sports show. Uh, prize that uh, you gave away. Yeah. Right, to your listeners, to one of your listeners. We still have one listener that hasn't uh, claimed his prize yet, but uh, uh, he calls. Uh, we'll get him set up as well. So. And you well, said he if, caught, he, he was with a guide, he caught primarily what? Walleyes, you said? Yeah, Dan, they caught, uh, they went with Irv Keller. Irv Keller supplied the uh, guide service uh, for him as, as part of the package. And, um, 
they caught walleyes. I know they caught walleyes, northerns, and some perch, and I don't know what else. But he said they, they caught a bunch of fish, and they had a good time, and they enjoyed the, the day out. It was a halfway decent day, so... Uh, they had a good good time up here. So in the wet and the color was spectacular. Uh, it's starting to go downhill now, but uh, uh, our color was at peak. It's, I'm sure it's, by next weekend it's going to start. Uh, uh, the leaves are going to start falling. And what, uh, you know what temperature is it up there in the Northwoods in the morning and then later on in the day? It starts out, Tom. It starts out about 35, maybe 40 degrees in the morning. This morning it's a little cooler. Uh, we might have had frost in some areas, but um, uh, it, but it warms up during the day. Uh, now next week it's supposed to get up in the 50s and 60s, so it'll be ideal for going fishing. And the walleye fishing is really starting to pick up, and the muskie fishing has been spectacular here for the last couple of weeks. So, and, uh, somebody have you been out recently to be able to tell us what the water temperature is by you? The, the water temperature is between 58 and 60 degrees, but it's going down fast. It is, uh Yes, yes, it's starting to go down, but it was about 50, between 58 and 60 this last weekend. I haven't checked it during the week. It rained pretty much all week, and I was busy with other things. Didn't get a chance to get out, but I will be going off today sometime. All right. Well, good luck so, to you. So, thank yeah, you. What am I saying? You don't need luck. You know <laughs> yes, what I you're do. doing. <laughs> but, all right, Dennis. Uh, like I say, you know, uh, hunting is starting now, deer hunting and bow hunting and and uh, there's uh, the color, like I say, the color is going to start deteriorating because of the uh, the rain and everything. But uh, it's yeah. still very pretty up here. And, and if somebody wants to take a trip, the fishing is going to really start picking up. So, All right, Dennis. Well, thank you for calling. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Talk to you later. All right. Take care, buddy. Uh, Dennis Royce, our Boulder Junction connection. So, uh, yeah, that would be nice to be up there this time of year, you know. It's real nice, but you know what? It's nice to get out anywhere. Like you said, people are, Danny, or people are getting a little stir-crazy, want to get out and do something, you know? You know, it, it, yeah. it was also interesting. Uh, as, I, as I drove up the Door County Peninsula, I, I didn't fish. I, I, was, I fished Saturday with my brother, and after getting soaking wet in the rain and not catching much, I, I, uh, I just spent the night up there. I did find a little uh, motel down there, uh, a little south of Sturgeon Bay. And uh, so I, I drove up to Door County, and uh, I thought of maybe fishing from shore, which I never really did. But I took the time to stop and check out some of the historical landmarks and, you know, the things that us fishermen normally just go racing right by when we launch our boat. And uh, it was interesting. I went up to uh, Moonlight Bay and read some interesting history about how that used to be a uh, a, a settlement and it was booming with a bunch of people and now it's nothing but a, a forest there it's it, it, it it's interesting and, and then just past there there's a uh, a lighthouse uh, I believe it's on Cana uh, Island I believe C-A-N-A I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right and they actually have uh, tours where you can there's a little causeway looks like uh, it's a couple hundred yards long and you can cross over there and climb up onto the lighthouse but Right now, the, uh, the, it's closed, but there were a bunch of people standing on shore. Water was washing over. It wasn't like, I mean, the water was high, and waves were rolling, and it was amazing. I wa actually watched some guys go out and surf on Lake Michigan there. Really? And, yeah, there were some huge waves, and there were a bunch of people looking out there, watching them surf. And then I read some of the history there, that there's a 300-foot uh, ore 
or a, a freighter that's in the water right out there that uh, sunk years ago. And it's amazing the power of, uh, of, of the Great Lakes as far as, you know, they talk about death's door. I, I, I read another thing that said uh, in 1872, almost 100 ships were lost in death's door. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just crazy. And then there's another one that, uh, has a legend that years ago, the Potawatomi Indians were the, uh, were the, you know, the natives up there. And, uh, years ago they were on their way from Washington Island to the mainland and they were, uh, washed ashore and dashed to death on Detroit Island. And as late as 1865, you could still find skeletons of some of those, uh, people on the island. So, it's just it's just crazy the history that's up there. Yeah, I know. Uh, years ago, when uh, we were fishing up there, you know, because the water is pretty clear in certain areas around uh, 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 Detroit Island and Plum Island. If you look, you and you know, and off of uh, uh, the point where the you know the what do you call that the ferry takes off from Gills Rock. Uh, yeah, Gills Rock. Thank you. The, some of those areas, you can see down pretty far, and you'll see the ribs. Uh, the wooden ribs of old ships from hundreds of years ago. And uh, matter of fact, we were catching fish that were hanging around the ribs of one of these old fi- hey, uh, old uh, boats. Yeah. Tom, we got we got John on the line here, our winner. Let's talk to him real quick before we go to break. All righty. Hey, John. Hey, John. Hey, how you guys doing? So we heard you had a good time. Tell us real quick. We got about a break and 30 seconds to a minute. Uh, tell us about your trip there. Well, yeah, it was a really good time. I mean, I mean the, the play accommodations were really good, and uh, we uh, caught some. We had a good time fishing and caught a bunch of fish, and uh, really beautiful up there. It was really nice. I mean, you had a good time. So, so did you fish by yourself, or did you bring a partner with you, her friend? Uh, I was uh, fishing with my dad. Uh, we were up there. And and you fished with Irv Keller, and I've heard he's a pretty good guide. Oh yeah, yeah, he's real good. Yes, very good. Well, that's good. That's good. So you would recommend the Boulder Junction area? Would, would you go back there again? Well, yes, uh, yeah, very much. Yes, uh, we have a place up in St. Germain, and it's, it's totally different from St. Germain. I mean, it's really, really wild, really is God's country, like you say, you know. And, yeah. I mean, well, really enjoyed it. you had a good time there, John. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. And, and sorry we couldn't get to your call earlier, and we thank you for listening. And uh, who knows, maybe you can win another trip soon. Yeah, maybe next year. (laughs) All right, John, thanks for calling. All right, thank you. All right. Well, folks, uh, we got one more break coming up, but this time we're going to play, after the break, the football picking contest, and it's brought to you by Curly's Waterfront Pub on Pewaukee Lake. So you get a $10 gift certificate if you can beat or tie us three on the show. So uh, start calling now at 799-1250 to be a contestant of this week's football picking contest. We'll be right back with more, folks. Stay tuned. Now time for the weekly football picking contest 
here on Skipper Bud's Cutting Edge Outdoors. And uh, who do we got on the line, Sam? Today we got Jack in Pewaukee. Hey, good morning, Jack. Hi, how you doing? Good. Hey, listen, uh, you, you know where Curly's Waterfront Pub is? I sure do. Well, you can win a $10 gift certificate if you pick this right this week. Uh, first of all, Sam, uh, what's the point spread? As of now, the Packers are favored by seven points. It's a 56.5 over under. Favored by seven well, points of, uh, of, against the Falcons. So what do you think, Jack? Well, the way the Packers are going and Atlanta's going the other way, i got to say that they would beat them by more than that seven. So I, I would go with the Packers. Okay, what do you think, Sam? I as well will go with the Packers. I mean, if you're the Falcons and you blow two consecutive leads like that, I don't know how you can pick Atlanta. Yeah, okay. And Danny, what do you like? Um, uh, well, the Packers are definitely going to win it, but uh, uh, I would say I'd pick how, it's seven points, you said? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the Packers are kind of probably going to be due for a letdown anyway themselves, so I'll say Atlanta covers the points. Okay, and I'll go with Jack with the Packers. So Jack, regardless, you're you're winning because you're going to at least tie us. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's great. Yeah, that's that really is great. Yeah, okay. but I, I know what Danny's saying that yeah, the Packers will probably win, but they you know for some reason it might be kept close. You know, who knows? That you can never figure out on any given Sunday what's going to. Or Monday night this time. Yeah, you got that right. right. Yeah, right. yeah, you're right. You never know. Yeah, I mean, look at even the Cleveland Browns won a game. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, Jack. Uh, so, so state, uh, hold on. Get you, make sure you give your name and address. Sure, Sam. Okay. Hey, also, I'm going up to Door County next Thursday and Friday. So, oh yeah, hey. what are you going to be doing up there? We're, I've I've lived here 44 years and we've never been to Door County. We just decided, darn it, we're going up there and just bum around. We're staying at Julie's. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's uh, in Fish Creek. Fish I Creek. Think. Yeah. And and then I'm not sure about what's still open or or whatever, but I hope uh, to be just eat and and travel around and I was. Hey, Jack, let me ask you a question. Do you like wine? Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a beer guy. But. Okay, well, they've got some <laughs> excellent wineries up there. Make sure you uh, check them out while you're up there. Uh, you know, they got samplings and stuff like that, and I'm sure they're still open, but they've got some excellent, excellent wine up there in Door County, especially the cherry wine that's made out of the cherries that oh, are sure. right up there. And if you, if you, now I used to stop at Julie's, uh, I and my buddy Mark Horton used to stop at Julie's and uh, come on back and uh, we'd pick up a cherry pie from them. If you call them oh, in advance yeah, and say, too. I want a cherry pie, they uh. can bake you, they can bake you a pie that weighs about 20 pounds when you get it. And let me tell you, man, you'll grab it in the bag and uh, they have a real nice breakfast there at Julie's as well. And based on what I saw last week, it's still rocking up there. People yeah. are wanting to get up. Now, the one thing in Door County, though, I will tell you this. 
they roll up the street rolls up the lights turn off by nine o'clock at night up there okay. D- don't expect to be going to any grocery stores after eight nine o'clock they shut her down in the evening time and don't expect to find a place for coffee at six in the morning they're they're pretty much on banker hours up there even in the summertime which i gotta respect uh it's okay. a very nice relaxing area i think i think you'll love it up there might be a little bit of traffic but you should enjoy it i'm looking forward to it well I'll tell you what jack next week give yeah. us a call uh when you go in next week yeah we'll be up there we got rooms uh the eighth and ninth that's thursday and friday so we'll be coming back here on Saturday sometime. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. There. Next week, Saturday, give give me a call because I'll be doing the show alone next week. So oh, okay. give me a call and tell me how how, how it was, okay? Yeah, next Saturday. Well, that sounds <laughs> great, Jack. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank okay, you, guys. Well, Danny, Monday Night Football, what do you think? You like it? Um, do I like it? Uh, you know, I still haven't really got into back into watching the pro sports, Tom. I'm still, yeah, I know, me my too. home, my home TV is yet to be tuned to one. Hey, uh, I gotta ask you, are the Brewers still playing? Nah, they got knocked I, out, I, man. I, I didn't even know. They, <laughs> they, no they made the playoffs with a less than 500 record. And then they got the top seeded Dodgers. And, uh, I believe the Dodgers, uh, Sam would know, but I believe the Dodgers won it all last year. Uh, but they got knocked out in two games, and das ist alles für heute for them. I guess we got to wait till uh, wait till next year, and uh, yeah. So disappointment both for the Brewers and the Bucks this year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm sure you know. There's a lot of people who aren't, you know, watching, but there's still a lot of people who do. But you know, I did hear that the numbers were down, for the yeah. viewership was down. From last and, and, did you hear that too, Sam? Yeah, I I heard that. I, yeah, you heard that, Danny? Yeah. Hey, um, and I think a lot of people are doing more activities. You know, I think one of this this COVID shutdown kind of forced people to get out of their normal routine and find other things to do. So, you know, maybe people are doing something different on a Sunday afternoon, especially being as we've had kind of an Indian summer here. They're getting out, they're doing things, they're going outside, going for a walk, a hike what whatever um one thing tom i will say i've gotten the report from uh sergeant horton contacted me and he's getting lots of 18 to 20 inch bass in the last couple of weeks fishing southeastern wisconsin lakes not only he was doing the night fishing but he was out during the day with his wife and they got a bunch of them and some nice pike and guess what he got them on tom a mini mite Nope, spinnerbaits. <laughs> spinnerbaits, buddy. Well, so I know a, you've, you've often stressed that. Well, it's a, it's a good lure to use when you got to cover a, a, you know, cover a lot of water quickly. And, uh, and it's a reaction bait. You know, if there's fish in the area and they're hungry, they're going to jump on it. But like I always say, you got to have that trailer hook on it, you know. I can't well, tell you how many fish I've caught on that trailer hook. And if I didn't have that trailer hook, I wouldn't have caught them. You know. Well, Tom, I'm, I'm still reveling off my near six-pound bass that I caught a couple of weeks ago on the special Neubauer spinnerbait you tied up for me. I can't thank you enough for that, buddy. Uh, well, those spinnerbaits do really work, man. Well, you know, if you throw them enough, you're going to, you know, even a blind squirrel can find a nut once in a while. So if you throw those spinnerbaits enough, 
You're going to find fish eventually. You just got to, you know what the real thing is, Danny, is you just got to throw it in the right places, you know? I mean, yep. uh, what 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 does uh, Al Linder say? 10% of the fish, I mean, 90% of the fish live in 10% of the water. I guess that's all we got, Tom. We got 10 oh. seconds left. Okay. Bye. To all the listeners, thanks for listening. And God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to Skipper Bud's Cutting Edge Outdoors. We'll talk to you next week. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.